Support for the Woj Pod comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website, choose a template you love, and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this very podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website, so create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Woj, W-O-J, to get 10% off. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Mike Schmitz, ESPN's NBA draft analyst, and everything you need to know headed into Thursday's NBA draft in New York. Let's get right to it. Here in New York, side of the 2019 NBA draft with ESPN's draft analyst, Mike Schmitz. Mike, how are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Fired up. Can you look at like a bank of TVs anywhere this week and not see your face somewhere? I don't want to see my face anywhere. <laughs> I don't think anyone else should have to see my face anywhere. But no, it's going to be busy. A lot of airtime. Could be worse, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We've got um, our mock draft show on Tuesday night on ESPN2, right? It's got to yep. be ESPN2. Got to be the two. The deuce. Yeah, yeah. And then we have... Essentially, the preview show on Wednesday night on the big channel, and then Thursday night, obviously, the draft from Barclays Center with the whole crew. This is a strange draft, Mike. Obviously, we know at the very top, Zion Williamson one, John Morant two, and more than likely, R.J. Barrett three, as long as the Knicks keep that pick. I think my sense is they probably will, but there's no consensus beyond that, and I think there'll be some trades in that 20 to 30 range where you'll see some teams moving up in there, some teams with multiple picks moving out. It feels like it's going to be a real active draft night. Uh, It feels like a lot. I think there's a lot of trade talk going on. Boston having three picks, Atlanta having three picks. I would be shocked if either team doesn't do a trade, even potentially being part of a big one. I think there's going to be a lot of action. Yeah, and then you think about New Orleans as well, you know, at number four with kind of the theme of the year, right, was, oh, the draft starts at four, you know, now potentially that pick is in play. And I think, you know, there are a lot of kind of swing-for-the-fences players in this draft too, uh, which could lend itself to some of those teams with multiple picks, right, whether it's a, a Bull Bull or a Kevin Porter, uh, some guys with high upside, but uh, maybe some question marks as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see what happens at four. Um, one, who's making that pick, mm-hmm. uh, but then how much you factor in need versus talent. Because to me, we've been calling it a three-player draft, but I think I really think Darius Garland deserves to be in consideration there. I think he has as much all-star potential as R.J. Barrett or John Morant, to be honest. If Darius Garland from Vanderbilt had not blown out his – knee in the preseason and missed the whole year at Vandy. Based on what you had seen of him prior in high school, 
before he got to college, before the injury, is it possible there could have been a debate about he and John Moran at number two? No question. I think there would have been. And and to be honest, there are still a couple scouts I've spoken to that would rank him higher, um, which sounds crazy based on the sample size. Uh, I think he was poised to have kind of a Trey Young type of impact on college basketball in terms of a guy who can pull up from 35 feet, who shoots it with incredible range, unwavering confidence. He's not the passer that Trey was, but that's kind of his style. And he was the number one point guard on our board coming to the year for a reason. And Vandy went winless in the league without him, right? 0-18? 0-18. Lost their coach. And lost their coach. You mentioned number four, and, and you know we've been reporting a lot about what New Orleans might do with that pick from the Lakers, it is very much, you know, it's really up for auction right now. And David Griffin's, I think his mandate here between now and Thursday is to try to turn it into an established player because he has that pick. He has two other picks from the Lakers. They have 20 million or so in cap space. If they want to take a salary on, they don't have to give back much so a team could get some money off. And I think he's looking for an established player to come into New Orleans with Zion Williamson, Drew Holiday, obviously Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball. Not impossible that one of them could be part of, just be redirected somewhere else. And so, you know, who's the team that moves up? And I think if a team is moving up in the four, DeAndre Hunter from Virginia, you mentioned Garland, some people might see four as high for Kobe White, but there are certainly teams who have need at point guard here, and he'll be off the board probably before he gets to six or at six with the Suns. But, yeah, I do think four will be – that's where the draft starts, and we could be all the way on the clock on Thursday night, and the Pelicans move that. They get their offer. And the other thing, too, is I think they could move back. The one thing the Pels have been doing are trying to line up players anywhere from 4 to 15, 16 in that range to try to get guys in for workouts, to try to get guys in at least for interviews, to sort of cover all their bases in an area where, you know, they didn't have a pick prior. And part of that, you have the Hawks at 8, 10, and 17. You know, they're certainly, if they want to get up to 4, you know, they may have the pieces to do that. But I do think New Orleans' priority is established player, Let's see if we can flip some of this Laker package and maybe get an all-star, maybe a younger all-star. And Atlanta's the team that comes most to mind for me. Maybe they don't have that younger all-star to offer, but uh, in terms of a team that I would think is dying to get up to that number four spot, um, you know, in terms of their need for a guy like DeAndre Hunter, you know, I think that's somebody who would slide in perfectly uh, to a team that has, you know, a shot creator and Trey Young and then a Kevin Herter and then a John Collins. They need one of these big, versatile, uh, multi-positional defenders uh, who doesn't need the ball in his hands and from what I understand, Atlanta is the only team that he worked out for. Um, so, you know, I would think that there's some mutual interest there. But, uh, yeah, there's no question that, you know, once whoever's drafting it for is on the clock, um, that's kind of when that's going to shape the rest of the top ten. In this draft for you, who's that one kind of mercurial enigma guy who maybe there's the biggest risk reward with? Mm-hmm. Who, who jumps out at you that – 
that you're just really fascinated to see how that night plays out for him and then how his career plays out? Bobo is is the clear one for me. I think you could you could talk about Cam Reddish and and you could talk about Kevin Porter. I think those guys are going to be fine NBA players worst case just because uh you know they're physically gifted and, and they have talent. With Bull so much of it is about can his type of player make it through an 82 game season, right? Being weighed in at 208 pounds at the combine, coming off of the foot injury, just the reality of being seven foot three in today's NBA, like how many minutes can you play the wear and tear that comes along with that? But if you're talking about talent, like this guy is a top five talent, no doubt about it. Like I would slide him right before, right after Garland in terms of just top five talent in this draft. He's seven three. He handles like a guard. He can shoot it off the dribble. Like the only other guy I can think of that when they're at their best, offers that blend of skills at seven three is Porzingis. Um, and that, but you know he's had issues with durability, and then uh, so he's the most polarizing guy in this draft. Given that it is not a strong draft, after I think everybody feels like one two and maybe three. Why is it possible for someone with that unique of a player? Why, why do you imagine he could fall into the twenties? I think with the, the foot injury, obviously teams, you know, trying to gather as much medical information as they can there, but there were always questions about bull even in high school, you know, just in terms of, uh, you know, it's almost an overused phrase and, oh, does he love the game? Right. Uh, but I think with him, that certainly rings true. You know, he's never been known as the most diligent worker. He's just a guy who can literally roll out of bed, you know, after a game of Fortnite and give you 30 and 15. Right. Uh, he's just a complete natural. And so, um, I think teams wonder one with the health, one with the durability, and then with the, is this guy going to give it to us every single night? Uh, on top of the fact that is he physically capable enough? Um, so, yeah, again, a guy who I could see really going anywhere from 10 to 25 just because of, you know, the teams with, with multiple picks, but then some of the risks that come along with him. Mike, have you sensed any, like, is the needs of teams, how teams are built, what's important to teams in evaluating players? Has anything jumped out with you when you're talking to guys this year about something that's changing or evolving or has become a bigger priority than you have heard or felt in the past? I think teams watching Fred Van Vliet and what he's been able to do are wondering, okay, who is the next Fred Van Vliet? Who is the guy who has the, not just like, oh, character, we're not all looking for Boy Scouts, right? Like, who is this tenacious, all odds stacked against me guy who's going to fight, scratch, and claw when his back's against the wall. And that's what I think teams are looking for. You know, we all know you can see talent, right? We know Zion is good or we know RJ Barrett is going to be a good NBA player. But who is the 61 who everyone's going to count out and say he doesn't have this, he doesn't have that, uh, but he has the mental makeup to exceed expectations. And I think that's what teams are zeroing in on now more than ever. Mike, you brought up an interesting point with Fred Van Vliet, undrafted out of Wichita State. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot was made in the finals and in the playoffs of of a Raptors roster, uh, a Raptors team that wins a championship without a lottery pick on it. And we were in the conference finals, and you're looking at Giannis Atenacupo against Kawhi Leonard, both drafted outside the lottery, 15th. Mm -hmm 
overall. And, uh, you know, it's funny. People had always talked about the Pistons teams that won a championship sort of without a true star that we would never see the teams Joe Dumars, John Hammond built in Detroit that really didn't have a superstar, that we probably wouldn't see that again. We may not see this one again, mm-hmm. right? Like, unless Kawhi stays and they do it again. But that's, in this day and age, that's almost impossible. Yeah, to see what they did with guys like Pascal Siakam. You know, I, I remember he was playing at the Combine. He played in front of every single NBA team. It's not like he was hidden in, in France or, or Cameroon, you know. Like, he was at the NBA Combine, had to play. Everybody watched him. And if Toronto didn't take him where they did... I don't know who was going to take him next, you know, and, and so guys like that, Norman Powell, uh, overachiever types, I think those are the guys you want to put around a guy like Kawhi Leonard. Like if, if you have a star in Kawhi Leonard, who by the way has those attributes himself, which is what makes him so rare, you want to put these tough, scrappy dudes who've been counted out their entire life. Like I think the personality that that team showed, uh, in terms of its grit and toughness and then having, you know, the defensive versatility and, and all those aspects as well. But I thought that they had just had the perfect match of toughness of guys who have been counted out, late bloomer types, and then a Mark Gasol who can kind of keep things flowing offensively. Like, like you said, extremely rare group. Uh, but I do think that it's going to open some, eyes to to scouts in terms of looking for guys of that nature. It speaks to the scouting in Toronto, the player development, and, you know, Dwayne Casey and Pryor, a lot of that work was done with Nick Nurse on the staff and Case, and he deserves credit for that group. You know, he played through a lot of Pascal Siakam's growth and his youth. And I remember seeing, really noticing Siakam for the first time his rookie year in a preseason game. We were in Vancouver. They were playing the Warriors. It was Kevin Durant's first preseason game. And I just hadn't noticed Siakam at Summer League. And I really was getting a look at him for the first time. And I remember seeing Masai at halftime. And I was like, holy cow, this guy is really good. And he's like, yeah, like we think he might be pretty good. Like, and like you were just like, where did this guy come from? Look in New Mexico State. Like, what? And that was this offseason they had let. Bismack Biombo go. And I remember Masai was really going to hold the line financially. You know, he was not going in his mind overpay Bismack. Bismack had had an outstanding season for them, had kind of come into his own in Toronto after the years in Charlotte. And he ended up getting a monster deal from the Magic. And Masai wasn't going to go near it and ends up drafting Siakam and probably. If he's not a max player, he's going to be something just south of it. But it's a, it is a good lesson in all the places you can go to find players. And it reminds you when we say that it is not a strong draft and that the only stars are Zion's a star, John Morant's a star. Maybe Andre Barrett's going to be one. But you know what? We know that somewhere in, in 15 or 22 or 27, there's probably going to be an all-star. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a weak draft until it's not. Right. right. That's what I would say. A few years out, I think there are going to be some of those guys. And, um, you know, I really think that to the Siakam point, I really think that the future of scouting in a lot of ways is in Africa. I, I think that in five, ten years, you might see these teams having a director of African scouting because 
there are players with the physical attributes over there walking the streets. You know, there are guys who look like Giannis in Lagos, Nigeria, walking the streets. There are guys who look like Pascal. So it's about, you know, getting to them early and being able to develop their skills at, at the right age. But I, I really think that we're going to see more and more, you know, guys from Africa um, who have that chip on their shoulder, who play with the motor of a Pascal uh, and have kind of the length and agility and switchability that every team is looking for. You know, there's the new African league, the professional league that the NBA is helping to sponsor and that will start up, I think, next season. And Masai Ujiri's Giants of Africa program, which has been remarkable all over the continent, bringing basketball. Pascal Siakam sat for a podcast a couple months ago and, Pascal was talking about getting invited and going, and really for him, he didn't think as much about going for the competition all that. It was just a chance to go travel and mm-hmm. go do something on a weekend, uh, go to a place he hadn't been necessarily, and and he it helped kind of to open some doors for him, and people saw him. And people used to talk, scouts, NBA people would talk about Europe, that there was a hunger to players from Croatia, Serbia, Places where there had been conflict, where players, you know, were coming from poverty and wanted a way out and were tough minded and, you know, skill development was a big part of the program there and you had these pretty well rounded players. We're seeing the same exact thing mm-hmm. in Africa. Mm-hmm. I mean, go back, Luol Dang, who's lived in a couple different places, but Siakam, I mean, go all the way back to, you know, Dikembe, Hakeem. As players have come, they come from families in places where, you know, education very often is at a premium. Pascal Siakam, you know, his brothers had come over and gone to school here. His parents just wanted him to come here and get a degree. Mm-hmm. And the focus wasn't to become an NBA player. It was a chance to get a college scholarship. And I think it reminds us that our system in this country, when it becomes corrupted by the impact the shoe companies have on it, travel basketball, that when we give so much to young kids who aren't necessarily ready to handle it and we kind of twist their values and make them really cynical at a very young age, that there's some pretty pure kids who just want to play and they want to bust your ass in Africa, in Europe, and they're coming to take jobs away if we don't better. And I think USA Basketball has done a good job where they've gotten involved in, but, but Africa's to me is just, and you see it, you're, you coach with the Ugandan national team. I think you're leaving right after the draft, right? That's your annual trip back. Yep. So. Yep. So I'll be going to, to Uganda for, for 10 days. And, uh, we have an Afro basket qualifier tournament out there. Just got former 76er Brandon Davies playing with us. So he just landed the other day and, um, and then I'll be doing the BWB in, in Senegal as well. So yeah, I'm looking at, uh, all the top international names, all the kids in Europe, most of them have African roots. You know, Sekou Dumboya, he's French, but he's born in Guinea. Um, you know, one of the best prospects in all of Europe, Victor Wembanyama. He's a very young kid, uh, but his dad is from Congo, you know. So I think when you can get kind of the physical attributes of these these guys from Africa and then you know, put them in the European youth system at the right age, you get these tantalizing prospects. And, uh, you know, to your point about, um, 
you know, not being given too much at a young age. I think John Morant is a really good example of that. Uh, the, you know, the favorite phrase I like to hear when I hear about a prospect is late bloomer, right? When you hear that, you know, like, okay, this kid, uh, he, he wasn't, uh, on, you know, Ball's life when he was 12 and he wasn't given, you know, like he wasn't this huge name at a young age, right? And, and so I think you have a different mindset coming through and, and Jai didn't play for a huge AU team, you know, he has that chip on his shoulder, um, but yet still has this ridiculous confidence about him. And I think he's a rare example, uh, in the States, uh, of somebody who has this incredible talent, but yet still has this, this humility about him. You know, you, you mentioned late bloomers, and I remember having this conversation with Donovan Mitchell, mm-hmm. and he talked about sort of not being an Instagram player, mm-hmm. right? Not just posing for social media, but really going out and doing the work. There are a lot of guys who think you're just there to, to pose. And mm-hmm. listen, you and Jonathan Gavoni, there's very few on the planet who see as much, probably nobody sees more, a combination of the grassroots in the United States, but then what you are able to see in Europe, what you see in on the African continent, what you see in the basketball without borders around the world. When you go to those events and you see the environment that the players are playing in, are you seeing something dramatically different stateside versus most of overseas? I think the style of play is different in terms of all those guys at a young age, it's, it's pasturable shoot, right? Like they, the ball is moving side to side. There's a certain, uh, style of European play that, that you see over there that's drilled into them, you know, at a young age. Uh, whereas in the States, I think you have to credit the level of freedom that a lot of these guys get, you know, with their ability to, um, play out of isolation or, or play pick and roll or, or go get their own shot. Um, you know, I think the environment is certainly different. You know, you go to the, U16 European Championships, you're going to see a much different, uh, it's going to have a much different feel than maybe EYBL AAU. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that, uh, the AAU level does, it, it gets dinged a little bit more than it should. I, re- I like, I was, you know, at EYBL, um, for a few days, um, you know, over the past month and they changed the shot clock to 24 seconds and, these kids are all friends, right? And they want to beat each other. Like it, it's it's more competitive, I think, than than it gets credit for. But there's certainly a difference um, in terms of the style of play. Very isolation heavy here, where you know the ball is just whipping side to side in Europe. You shouldn't have to choose between overpriced designer sunglasses and cheap shades that won't last you this summer. That's why. I'll never wear anything other than movement sunglasses. You've heard us talk about movement disrupting the watch industry. Well, now they're doing it again with sunglasses. The Los Angeles-based accessories brand has hundreds of premium, affordable sunglass styles to choose from. So whether you're more into timeless shapes like classic round sunnies or something that makes a statement like the fun 90s skinny frames, they've got them all. Constructed with durable acetate and lightweight materials for that perfect, reliable fit, you don't have to choose between style and function because you get both. And with their free shipping and returns policy, you can try out as many styles as you'd like right from your home. All of their styles come with a polarized lens option, so you never have to worry about that harsh summer light. Movement sunglasses start at $60.00 and no pair prices over $95. 
So you're guaranteed to find a style you love with quality that doesn't break the bank. So get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to movement.com slash Woj. That's M-V-M-T dot com slash Woj, W-O-J, and check out their expanding collection. Join the movement. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about Metro by T-Mobile. Did you know that with Metro, you get access to a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S.? Yep, Metro has coast-to-coast coverage, so you can catch the game on the go on your phone. Plus, with Metro, you save big, and I mean really big, up to 1200 bucks a year. Plus, Amazon Prime is included. So why pay more with those other guys? Check out Metro by T-Mobile and get coast-to-coast coverage with big savings. Discover why Metro is the smarter way to wireless. Metro by T-Mobile, that's genius. Speaking of isolation heavy, LaMelo Ball, Lonzo's younger brother, class of 2020, has bounced around a little bit from Chino Hills to high school in Ohio, right? Mm-hmm. And then Lithuania mm-hmm. with the family last year on that odyssey. And now on his way to the Australian League where there's an opportunity for American players to kind of bypass the college system for a year until one and done gets straightened out and they could go right to the NBA. He announced on the jump today and Jonathan Gavoni, you know, reported on it. You know, he is your quintessential ball is life video showman, right? And he's been in this kind of this ball bubble that mm-hmm. has existed of being characters in their own live streaming show, right? And they're popular on the circuit. Gyms are full to watch them play. What kind of talent does this younger ball have? What will he find, his style of play? How is that going to be received in Australia? What what does he need to get out of this by going there for a year? He's a big-time talent. Like there, There's no doubt about that. Uh, he's grown. I saw him in late January in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, he's grown to about 6'7". You know, his body's filling out. Uh, he has Lonzo-like basketball instincts. I mean, his, his feel for the game, his IQ, his vision, and he's actually a little bit more shifty uh, than Lonzo was at the same age. Um, but, you know, he has a lot of bad habits. He's never played in structure. Um, he's never really been held accountable, right? So he's never had to defend. Um, he's, he's never had to kind of play within a system. And it's always just kind of been, you know, his show. And even when he went to Lithuania, right, like that whole thing was kind of a setup job of, all right, we're going to bring in this this family. We're going to create this buzz, and um, we're going to film our show, and and that's how we're going to run this. Um, and I was actually at one of those practices. I was at a game and a practice in Vitautis, Lithuania. Uh, and I walk into this practice, and there's just cameras everywhere. You know, like it's it's these guys. Half of them don't speak English. The coach doesn't speak English. Uh, Lamello's just kind of, you know, looks lifeless and, and then there's cameras in everyone's face 
And I'm like, what is it? I, I've been to a lot of European practices. Like, this is, this is not, you know, when people say, oh, he has experience playing overseas, like, that's not what this is, you know, and, and Australia is a physical league. I mean, right. he, he's going to be tested, um, night in and night out, but I will say, like, from a talent perspective, he's a top 10 type of pick, you know, so I think teams more than ever are going to have to weigh, uh, what can we make of this talent? Because he has all this natural ability that's high level. Like he's more talented than Lonzo, honestly. Uh, but Lonzo grew up before all of this was all mm-hmm. this in a much more traditional setting. Uh, so I think more than ever teams are going to have to weigh, uh, you know, everything that comes along with drafting LaMelo Ball and really hone in on some of the bad habits that he has because, um, like I said, he's really going to be tested in Australia. Lonzo was traded to the Pelicans in the Anthony Davis deal. Is it a mistake to draw broad conclusions on who Lonzo Ball is as a pro, how good he could be as a pro? Do you still see an avenue for him to still be to justify that number two overall pick and be an elite point guard in the NBA? I do. And if I were a team, you know, I don't know how much this factored into David Griffin, but if I, if I were a team, I would have been had him on my buy low list for the last couple of years, just given the situation in Los Angeles, all the hoopla around him. Like if you can take him out of that and just focus on who is Lonzo Ball, the basketball player, it's hard to find many guys in the world with his combination of basketball instincts and size and and defensive versatility like I think when he's able to step away out of the whole LA scene and just focus on basketball teams are you know people fans are going to start to realize like okay this is what makes this kid so special then you put him next to a guy like Zion and it's going to be transition break after transition break Um, I really do think that he's going to Maybe not live up to that number two status, but uh, I wouldn't count him out as being a guy who eventually really figures this out just because of his basketball IQ and his instincts. And I think we're too quick to judge these kids. I really do. And Brandon Ingram, I don't know that there was a greater advocate of him Oof. than you. And you, even after Ben Simmons had kind of got out of the gate faster in his career, I know you hadn't let go of the idea. You, I'm not sure you still have that Brandon Ingram, when it's all said and done, may still close that gap, mm-hmm. that argument about one and two, and, and he gets obviously the opportunity to go. I think he really needed a new – he didn't fit with LeBron, and and I think certainly he had some stretches where he really showed that talent this year, and then came the blood clot loss for the season. I'm told he's really had a good recovery, good rehab, should be back on the court playing in July, and – and more than ready for training camp. But your view of him remains still pretty optimistic. Yeah, yeah I mean, you can find me dead on the Ingram Hill. I'm on the, <laughs> stuck on the island with with uh, no boat to get to the mainland. Um, I, I still believe in this kid. You know, I still think that he's going to end up being an all-star in the NBA. I, I really, truly uh, believe that. And I think New Orleans is the perfect place to kind of get that out of him. Uh, in terms of a, a coach like Alvin Gentry who instills confidence uh, and who kind of gives you, you know, the green light to play your game. You want to get up and down. Uh, and then from a personality fit, he's a quiet kid. You know, he's a quiet kid who goes about his business and just loves hoop, you know. And and I don't think that he ever fit into 
what was going on in LA. And I think, um, you know, the whole, uh, you know, what they have going on in New Orleans and being able to be more of kind of a, a primary ball handler at times with, you know, other pieces around him is going to be a really, really intriguing fit. And, you know, he's still young. If, if his health checks out and, and, uh, you know, he's able to stay on the floor, I, I don't, I wouldn't be shocked if in, you know, two, three years we're talking about him as an all-star. All right, Mike, we can't finish, uh, pre-draft podcasts without talking a little bit about Zion Williamson. But I think in the context of the impact he had on R.J. Barrett at Duke last year, some people can forget that before, I think really before that Canada trip that Duke went on in the preseason, I think it was in August or September early, and I'll never forget, Jay Billis was there for us. I think it was maybe on ESPN+. Plus. Mm-hmm. We were doing all the games. And Jay just started talking. I mean, we all knew who Zion Williamson was, and we mm-hmm. knew he was a big recruit for Duke, and we knew he was a one-and-done and a lottery pick. But to watch the way – remember, Jay started doing these reports from Canada. I think it was Montreal. And the way – Jay doesn't gush. Mm-hmm. Jay is very pragmatic. He's always got players in context of who's come before because he studies it. And I remember just Jay starting to really gush about Zion – as if he was seeing something he had never seen before. And here he is, again, I think it was beginning of college football season. He's up in Canada. And that's when it started the conversation of, I remember initially it was, oh, maybe there'll be a competition for number one pick because it's R.J. Barrett. He's the number one pick. Mm-hmm. Maybe Zion's going to compete for that. And then before you knew it, he was a freight train that had run everybody over. But R.J. Barrett was the presumptive number one overall pick. What was the impact do you think Zion had? If R.J. Barrett had gone to Kentucky, would we be talking about him differently than if he was at Duke? If he Just mean if he hadn't played with Zion. Yeah, I just think seeing a prospect like Zion every day who's so unique, right? Scouts are seeing him, fans see him over and over and over again. And he just, there's such a wow factor to him and, and the explosiveness and the motor with which he plays with. And then you see R.J., and you just say, okay, like Zion's this freakish number one talent. RJ Barrett, he's a nice player, you know? Whereas if he wasn't next to this potential superstar, I think you are talking about him as, you know, a, a potential number two type of pick. Um, RJ clearly accomplished so much at such a young age, whether it was with the Canadian national team. I remember, you know, when he was 17 years old and scored 38 on, on USA to uh, basically win gold at the U19 World Championships. And I think Jonathan was, was actually there. And, um, I mean, the kid is an absolute gamer. He's an alpha dog. He's going to look way better with space and, and shooting around him. And, you know, like you said, it, it wasn't really until the champions classic that, you know, Gavoni and I are sitting there looking at each other and just watching Zion in awe. Like what, what is, this? and we had seen him since he was, you know, 17 years old. Right. But he was kind of this out of shape, you know, pudgy guy who always had some injuries. You weren't really sure what he did. You know who, you know who I thought he was then? I thought he was Rodney Rogers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Before yep. that's who he reminded me. Yep. Of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Play, played at Wake Forest, played in the NBA with the Nets and a few teams and, you know, undersized, you know, six, seven lefty who had a good career, uh, but never was in great shape. And, and then he just became something else. I never thought he was going to be able to, 
make shots like that either. Like he was pretty much a non-shooter in high school. So then you see this wave of Zion Williamson, something we've never seen before, this perfect positionless player. And then again, you're looking at RJ saying, okay, we've seen guys like RJ Barrett, you know, six, seven, 210 pound lefty who can play pick and roll and score at all three levels. Um, so I do think that, uh, seeing those guys next to each other day in and day out kind of, uh, took away how effective and good of a player RJ was. I mean, 23, 8 and 4 at age 18, I think speaks for itself. So, um, like I've said all along, the Knicks, should they draft RJ Barrett, they're getting a lot more than just a consolation prize. And the thing too, last thing with Zion, and he is the counter to the argument that every top player would just be better off if they were, mm-hmm. didn't have to go to college for a year. If Zion Williamson had gone from high school to the NBA, he'd have just a normal rookie shoe deal as opposed to the monster deal he will have at some point here and endorsements and that platform at Duke. And if he had gone to Kentucky or Carolina, I'm not saying it wasn't just Duke, probably would have happened anywhere. But that year of college to market him, for people to see him in games that were meaningful do the things you're talking about going to the Guardians Classic was in Chicago. And on those big stages, college basketball did offer him that platform. And so what was it worth financially for him? Hundreds of millions of dollars that would not have been there. He was just another, you know, top ten recruit. He was he was not extraordinary to anybody. Yeah, he was always unique, right? He was always a freak athlete and who had a little bit of feel for the game, a little bit of motor. Um, but he just turned the corner in, in a huge way. And, um, like you said, I think Duke and college basketball gave him that platform. He took full advantage and, uh, you know, just kind of the final point on him. Like, I don't know if I've seen a better kid at the top yeah. of a draft. And and like I call him a thankless superstar because he does all the little things. He's RJ but one of RJ Barrett's best friends and he's okay with hey RJ, you want to go get yours late in the game? Go do it. Like I'm going to crash the offensive glass. I'm going to create extra possessions and that's why he's going to be so easy to play with in the NBA. Like I have no concerns about you know, any of these young guys from the Lakers coming in or, or say they get some all-star caliber player. Like he is a phenomenal kid who does all the little things. No question. Mike, it's going to be a fun few days here in New York. A lot of action between now and the draft Thursday night, man. It's uh, always fun to sit and do this. We'll, we'll be talking plenty more draft, plenty more ball this week. Appreciate it, Woj. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest, ESPN's NBA draft analyst, Mike Schmitz. Remember, you can listen to new and archive episodes of the Woj Pod on ApplePodcastRadio.com or wherever else you get your programs. And, of course, a big thank you to our sponsors, Wix.com Movement and Metro by T-Mobile. Be sure to support them like they support us here at the Woj Pod. We'll catch you next time.